0: another episode of Genesis. We are in the final two episodes, this one and the next. My name is Jonathan Chen. I'm so so glad that you can join me today. Actually, I'm so so glad that you've been journeying throughout this whole Genesis series for this long because, wow, that was a long one, wasn't it? We are nearing the end. The finish line is clearly approaching, unlike COVID, and I'm just so glad that you've been journeying with us for this time. So, Before we kick off with Genesis chapter 46 and 47, let's begin with a video clip. So sit back, relax, enjoy the clip, and we'll be right back.
1: So This is how you see things. This is amazing. It's a gigantic pain in the ass, but it has its moments. This game doesn't happen till October. It's always October and November and March so many futures and they're all real just don't know which one will coalesce until then they're all happening like this one it's my favorite moment in human history all the things that had to converge for the mets to win the world series they were in last place every single season until they won it all you said you had a gift for us. that baseball for instance thrown for the last out of game five manufactured in 1962 by the spaulding factory of chicopee massachusetts was aerodynamically flawed Due to the horse hide being improperly tanned because Sheila, the tanner's wife, left him for our Puerto Rican golf pro that Sunday. Do um, the gift? See, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. yes, of course. In the box Uh it, it, It's the surprise to protect the earth. It's the shield. Shield. Arcane and Arknet. That's what you did. You put up the Arknet. How did I do that? When that ball is pitched to Davy Johnson, who only became a baseball player because his father couldn't find a football to give him for his 8th birthday, it hits his bat 2 micrometers too high, causing him to pop out to Cleon Jones, who would have been born Clara, a statistical typist, if his parents didn't have an extra glass of wine that night before going to bed.
0: We are nearing the end of Genesis, and there's still an unanswered question. Well, Jacob and his family, i.e. known as Israel now, finally separate themselves from foreigners and their influence and start fulfilling their role as a holy nation and be a blessing to all the nations as opposed to remaining as a stink. If you recall, Jacob didn't fulfill his role at all and neither did his eldest sons because they were too chummy-chummy with sinful ways around them. But then there was an outlier, Joseph, who through spoiled entitlement and his spoiled attitude, got himself into trouble and he got separated from his family. It's interesting how God works, doesn't it? And after facing a series of hardships and trials for 20 plus years, Joseph, through his faith and obedience to God, became second in command in Egypt, just one lower than Pharaoh. So last week, Dan ended this off with Joseph summoning Jacob and his entire family to Egypt to not only save them from a deadly famine, but you and I both know it also saved them from themselves. It took them out of foreign influences. So as a reader, you and I, we are left wondering, will this family finally start taking on their God-given role to be holy people? separated for God's purpose, and be a blessing to the nations around them? How would they be separated if they were going to another foreign land, i.e. Egypt? And how would they be a blessing to those around them? And most importantly, how about us today? We too are called to be a blessing to those around us, regardless of whether they're Krishna or not. How do we go about doing that? Or, for today, are we even aware that we are being a blessing through our actions Or are we aware that our actions are more of a stink? Let's begin. Chapter 46, verse 1 to 7. So Jacob set out for Egypt with all his possessions. And when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifice to the god of his father Isaac. During the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Jacob answered, here I am. I am God, the God of your father, the voice said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt, and I will bring you back again. You will die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. So Jacob left Beersheba, and his sons took him to Egypt. They carried him and their little ones and their wives in the wagons Pharaoh had provided for them. They also took all their livestock and all the personal belongings they had acquired in the land of Canaan. So Jacob and his entire family went to Egypt, sons and grandsons, daughters and granddaughters, all his descendants. This dialogue between God and Jacob sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Way back in chapter 22, Abraham responded the same way when God called him. First to test him and second to bless him because of his obedience. Let's blast over to chapter 22, starting in verse 11. At the moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Verse 16. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth, will be blessed all because you have obeyed me so the author here has emphasized the here i am it's almost like a footnote for us to reference back to the promise god made with abraham because of abraham's obedience not only to remind us that god's promise with his family is still intact but he also promised jacob that it will continue to remain intact and protected while they are temporarily staying in egypt Now, I'm saying temporarily in quotations here because they stayed in Egypt for 430 years. Jacob knew this. He knew that his grandfather said that here I am because it was his grandfather. He also knew that he too responded the same way in chapter 31 when he told Rachel and Leah that they had to obey God and leave Laban. So, again, we are reminded that God's promise, our God-given vision, always remains intact. It's just whether we remain faithful and obedient to stay on track and see our God-given vision come into fruition. In other words, it's for us to lose. Yet it's also interesting to note that when God called Jacob in today's passage, Jacob wasn't at his best in terms of obedience. See, if we graft Jacob's obedience, it will be like this peaks and valleys, sort of like the stock market. Right now, at this moment, if we took a litmus test of Jacob's obedience, it would be in a valley. See, he was immersed in foreign way of living. He's lost his moral compass. And also, he basically lost his will to live out God's given vision because, well, quite frankly, he's still in mourning because he thought that Joseph was dead. So, what made God reassure him that his promise remained intact with Jacob? How do you justify that? Because it definitely wasn't Jacob's obedience. So for those keeners out there, you're right. It was Joseph's obedience. You could say that Jacob was vicariously blessed by Joseph's obedience. Joseph became the representative of this family, not Jacob. And through Joseph's obedience throughout his 20 plus years of trials and suffering, his dad and the entire family Remained in God's promise. Now, way in the New Testament, someone else did just that. And before you Sunday schoolers blurt out the answer, hold that thought. Let's move on. Verse 28. As they neared their destination, Jacob sent Judah ahead to meet Joseph and get directions to the region of Goshen. And when they finally arrived there, Joseph prepared his chariot, and traveled to Goshen to meet his father, Jacob. When Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. Finally, Jacob said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die since I have seen your face again and know you are still alive. Now, take that as gratefulness, by the way. That's how they talk. It's like, oh, I am so happy. That's what Jacob really wanted to say. What a contrast, right? From his brothers and his entire family. If you recall from the time of Abraham till now, there's been one noticeable thing missing in this screwed up family, and that is intimacy. Throughout the story of this family, people seem to just marry because they were merely attracted to them and had kids because it was the thing to do at that time or for purely pragmatic or economic reasons. There was no intimacy in the family. Like take for example, Abraham and Sarah, there wasn't any intimacy. Abraham even lied that Sarah was his sister twice. Isaac and Rebecca were definitely not because Rebecca wore the pants of the family and she deceived Isaac. Jacob just saw Rachel as eye candy and Leah as bitter candy, while Judah was just horny all the time. So there was no intimacy in the family. Finally, though, Joseph showed intimacy. And it wasn't just this time, right? Pastor Dan mentioned that Joseph wept when he saw his brothers. And without waiting to have his father come to him, which is normal for high Egyptian officials, you're supposed to have people come to you and not you go to them. Joseph just got on his chariot on his own, saddled up and bolted to see Jacob. And when he saw Jacob, he wept and held on to his father for a very long time long time it's like as if finally the whole intent of God's establishing a family of intimacy has finally be revealed through Joseph's actions that God's intent for all of humanity for intimacy for intimate relationships among ourselves caring loving relationships among humanity among human beings is finally showing itself through Joseph's actions. In fact, if you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, after the fall, you realize that there has been no intimacy right from the get-go, right after the fall. And finally, God's intent for humanity, for intimate relationships that are caring and loving and sacrificial, is finally revealed through Joseph's actions here. I don't think Joseph knew what he was doing. He basically was just floored to see his father. He was, he wept. He, he missed his father so much that he just embraced him. But to us, we know that his actions had global implications. It paved the way to reestablish God's intent for human beings. It paved the way to reestablish the God-given vision for this family. For Joseph, he didn't know that. He's just doing what he needs to do. Let's go on to verse 33. Then he said, Joseph, when Pharaoh calls for you and asks you about your occupation, you must tell him we, your servants, have raised livestock all our lives, as our ancestors have always done. When you tell him this, he will let you live here in the region of Goshen. For the Egyptians despise shepherds. Let's blast over to chapter 47, verse 2. Joseph took five of his brothers with him and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? They replied, we, your servants, are shepherds just like our ancestors. We have come to live here in Egypt for a while, for there is no pasture for our flocks in Canaan. The famine is very severe there. So please, we request permission to live in the region of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Now that your father and brothers have joined you here, choose any place in the entire land of Egypt for them to live. Give them the best land of Egypt. Let them live in the region of Goshen. And if any of them have special skills, put them in charge of my livestock too. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. How old are you? Pharaoh asked him. Jacob replied, I have traveled this earth for 130 hard years, but my life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. Verse 10, then Jacob blessed Pharaoh again before leaving his court. Remember the question earlier? Will Israel, i.e. Jacob and his family and his descendants, immerse themselves and get chummy-chummy with Egyptian way of life? Or would they be able to separate themselves and remain distinct for God's purpose, i.e. holy? Here's our answer right in this passage. This is probably the very few times where discrimination actually was a blessing. The Egyptians despised shepherds and herdsmen. And since Israel were shepherds, they didn't want to associate with them. And so because all of Egypt's cattle and livestock were located in Goshen anyway, what a perfect place to put Israel, right? Expert herdsmen taking care of your livestock that you really didn't want to touch anyways. That's Pharaoh's thinking. And that is what Joseph did. He told Pharaoh to put Israel in Goshen because it was perceived as a win-win situation for Pharaoh. And for Israel because Israel will be separated from Egypt. They won't even touch each other. So separated that we will come to see that this separation protected Israel from getting annexed into slavery, which we will get to later on. But before we do, I also want to mention that because of Joseph's obedience, we knew that Potiphar, the prison captain, and now Pharaoh as well, vicariously benefited from God's blessing on this family. How do we know? Pharaoh and all of Egypt survived the famine through Joseph's faith and obedience to God. Did Joseph knew that he would be saving an entire known world from starvation? No, he didn't but he remained faithful and obedient to God in whatever situation God placed him. And for that, through Joseph's obedience and faith in God, Pharaoh was also blessed by Jacob twice. So, to the question of will Israel be a blessing to their foreign nations? Answer is, yes. Through Joseph's faith and obedience, Israel has finally showed a glimmer of hope that they can establish and performed the role of blessing other nations with the evidence of Pharaoh and the Egyptians being saved from famine, or actually the entire known world is saved from starvation, and Jacob blessing Pharaoh twice. Let's move on. In verse 18, but that year ended and the next year they came again and said, we cannot hide the truth from you, my Lord. Our money, now our meaning the Egyptians, our money is gone, and all our livestock and cattle are yours. We have nothing left to give but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your very eyes? Buy us in our land in exchange for food. We offer our land and ourselves as slaves for Pharaoh. Just give us grain so we may live and not die. And so the land does not become empty and desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. All the Egyptians sold him their fields because the famine was so severe. And soon all the land belonged to Pharaoh. As for the people, he made them all slaves from one end of Egypt to the other. The only land he did not buy was the land belonging to the priests. They received an allotment of food directly from Pharaoh, so they didn't need to sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Look, today I have bought you and your land for Pharaoh. I will provide you with seed so you can plant the fields. Then when you harvest it, one-fifth of your crop will belong to Pharaoh. Welcome purchase tax. You may keep the remaining four fifths as seed for your fields and as food for you, your households and your little ones. You have saved our lives, they exclaimed. May it please you, my Lord, to let us be Pharaoh's servants. Actually, correction. This is very similar to income tax, not purchase tax. Let's blast over to verse 27. Meanwhile, the people of Israel settled in the region of Goshen in Egypt. There they acquired property. Now that's a complete opposite, isn't it? The Egyptians lost property, Israel acquired, and they were fruitful, and their population grew rapidly. Jacob lived for uh, 17 years after his arrival in Egypt, so he lived 147 years in all. The author provided us with elaborate detail on what happened to the Egyptians during the famine. I'm not going to go over it again, but I want to emphasize that while the Egyptians were happily selling everything their land and including themselves to save themselves from the famine we see that God's people were acquiring property and were fruitful, which was the complete opposite, as I mentioned. Furthermore, they weren't touched by the severity of the famine. God's promise with Abraham remained intact, even in light of natural disasters such as the famine. Because of Joseph's faith and obedience in God. Through Joseph's actions, his obedience and faith and loyalty to God, and his loyalty to his family, Israel was blessed and remained in God's promise. Therefore, what can we learn here? That nothing can thwart God's vision for you and I. It is for us to lose. Verse 29. As the time of his death drew near, Jacob called for his son Joseph and said to him, Please do me this favor. Put your hand under my thigh and swear that you will treat me with unfailing love by honoring this last request. Do not bury me in Egypt. When I die, please take my body out of Egypt and bury me with my ancestors, as promised by God. So Joseph promised, I will do as you ask. Swear that you will do it, Jacob insisted. So Joseph gave his oath, and Jacob bowed humbly at the head of his bed. We conclude with a vow similar to the one that Abraham asked of his servant to locate a wife for Isaac, right? Underneath the thigh. This was the moment where Jacob finally realized that it was through Joseph's faith and obedience in God that he is finally experiencing the start of a renewal for him and his family. Finally, the God-given vision for this family is coming slowly into fruition. And because he has witnessed the fruits of Joseph's faith and obedience, he too wants Joseph to continue to remember where they truly belong, to remain obedient to God, to know that Egypt is just temporary their stay is just temporary their true home is back in the promised land where god promised abraham their true role is to usher nations to god's presence and not to get too comfortable in egypt and therefore joseph's vow with jacob was not just to bury jacob in back in canaan but to remind joseph and all of israel that egypt is not their home and that soon they will need to leave now soon being 430 years later Okay, what can we conclude here? The date is March 30th, 2021. COVID is still running rampant in British Columbia, and we just experienced the highest number of cases in its history in one day alone this past Friday. In-person church services are again banned, and indoor activities including dining and restaurants have been banned as well. This announcement coming just before Easter weekend. After the announcement from our lead health official of the renewed bans, there were many news articles written in response to the notice. Some are good, some are not so good. One of those was from CTV News interviewing a restaurant owner, and he made an interesting quote, so I'll put it up here. He says this, I hope this is a wake-up call for everybody in the industry for us to get our act together and be sure we are following the guidelines. We have been blessed. We were the only province in Canada that were open during all that time, said Yaku. People took advantage, and this is the consequence of it. We've been saying for months, please follow the rules. We can keep our industry open. But by patrons choosing to have parties at home and not abiding these protocols, this is the situation we are in now, said Jeff Guignard, with the Alliance of Beverage Licensees. It's really sad for people who worked really hard to keep us open. What Jeff Guignard said is what health authorities and the government have been saying all along since the pandemic. Let's do our part because our actions affect everyone. Yet many of us, including Christians, have a tendency to think that our actions don't hurt others. Aside from COVID, before even COVID, how many of us have used this phrase? Well, it's not like I'm hurting anyone. That statement alone comes from selfishness, pride, and ignorance. I believe that COVID has done one thing really well. It has revealed how selfish we humans can be. Our actions do affect others without us knowing it, hence the global economy. Our actions do have consequences regardless whether we intentionally or unintentionally desire them to. For example, this COVID. When people go out and disobey the protocols. They think they are not hurting others, but in fact they are, indirectly. COVID travels and infects everyone, whoever we encounter. And what COVID has done is revealed how selfish our actions can be. See, in these two chapters that we just covered, we learned that Joseph's actions were always guided by his faith and obedience to God. And because of his actions, The consequences that resulted were actually blessings. Not only to Jacob and his family, but also to Pharaoh and the entire known world which was Egypt and the surrounding kingdoms. Joseph didn't know that. Joseph didn't know that his faith and obedience, his actions would actually be a blessing to the entire world, known world, and save them from famine. He just did it because he was faithful and obedient to God. He didn't know that it would reestablish Jacob back into the God-given vision and promise. He just wanted to be faithful and obedient. So the world vicariously was blessed through Joseph's actions, even though it wasn't direct or intentional. For us, we have an example as well in the New Testament. Back to you Sunday schoolers out there. Because Jesus did the same thing, did he not? Because of Jesus' faith and obedience on the cross... And his resurrection. He represented all of us. So that through his faith and obedience. We too are saved from our sins. We too receive the God-given vision. The global God-given vision of having the entire world redeemed and brought forward to God. And also through Jesus' death and resurrection. Each of us received our own God-given vision. So like Joseph Jesus did the same thing, but in a massive scale, by representing all of humanity. He was our representative. He carried our sins, and he lived a life of faith and obedience to the T, 100%, so that he could represent all of humanity, you and I, and save us from our sins. What a blessing. We vicariously experience Jesus' blessing. Folks, we are to do the same today. Now, I know it's uh, very tough to do anything, especially during COVID. But I think there's a call, a wake-up call for all of us. That all of our actions, whatever we do, whatever decisions we make, do, do affect, does, do have a global effect on people that we may not know. People we may not know or are, are aware that's uh, affecting them. We have to stop saying that our actions do not hurt people. They do. They affect people for good or for bad. And we have to understand that. Christians need to understand that our actions have consequences, whether they're good or bad, globally. Just like what we learned through Joseph. I think the lesson here is that as long as we remain faithful and obedient to God, as long as our actions are guided by the faith and obedience in God, we will be a blessing whether we know it or not to the world and not a stink. Amen.